1: With compelling interviews, cutting-edge business tactics and ideas, and the X's and O's segment with Miles Austin. I welcome in my good friend, Miles Austin. Welcome to the Business Locker Room. Now, here is your host,
2: Kelly Riggs. And hey, great to have you on board. Thanks for joining us here in the Business Locker Room. The brand new show open as we open up a new series in the show. We're getting started on a whole new path, and I'm excited about that. A new website to follow as well. You can still find us at bizlockerroom.com and expecting uh, a release of the new website uh, within a couple of weeks. Looking forward to that. Boy, we've got a great show lined up for you today. Of course, off last week. As uh, we celebrated the holidays together, we had a uh, previous show that we aired, but uh, back live with you on the 8th of September. Great to have you on board. And uh, the show today will be fantastic. Mark Roberge will join us. He is the Chief Revenue Officer of HubSpot, and we'll talk about how he used science and social selling to build the revenue at HubSpot uh, from ground zero to over $90 million and now currently 11,000 plus customers. Should be exciting. A lot of things for us to learn as we look at uh, application for each of our individual business. This is the show with compelling conversations and useful content that you can use to improve your business today. And I'm excited about today. A lot of good things that we're going to learn. Many times we're talking about marketing Social media, business strategy—a lot of times it's about sales and other things. Today, we'll kind of mix and match some of those pieces and parts as we talk with Mark Roberts of HubSpot. But uh, before we start, uh, I turn to my good friend Miles Austin, who always joins us in the X's and O's segment. And today, we're going to talk about Inside View, a brand new tool that he's unearthed for us to talk about. But Miles, you've uh, you've got a lot of different things going. I know that you're uh, you're headed towards
3: New York, correct? I'm heading off, Kelly. And By the way, hello. To, uh, glad to talk to you again after a week off. Yeah, I'm heading to New York. Um, mm-hmm. It's always fun for a guy from Seattle to spend six and a half hours in a plane each way. But I'm looking forward to it. IBM's got a conference about big data and analytics. And it you think, well, what the heck is a sales guy doing? Let me just tell you, I'm convinced 1,000% that data, big data as we now call it, is one of the popular terms, is a dynamic that is changing our sales and our business world 100% right now. And I, I got to get up to speed. And very frankly, this conference uh, from IBM I, is really a, a great way to have me get immersed into that new uh, conversation because I'm a little behind the times there.
2: So you're going as a participant, are you going to present as well on, on your areas of expertise?
3: Um, not necessarily what I'm going to be doing is actually writing and sharing what's happening there and gathering all the data. And if you want to kind of get a recap of, of the blow by blow, I'll be posting it over at fill the com. My, yeah. my key, there is to meet a bunch of these people that are truly the experts. I, the IBM team and several others have got some real depth there, some really, really smart people. Uh, and I'm there really to build the relationships. Cause as I said, I'm going to be doing a lot of work in this whole big data thing, uh, uh, in the In the weeks and the months ahead,
2: well I'm very excited. We were talking before the show off the air. you've got a lot of things happening in your world. Some big announcements coming down uh, the pike in just the next week or two. so we'll be excited to share that now we're going to talk about at the bottom of the hour
3: uh, Inside View. Give us a real quick sneak peek. Inside View is actually one of those old timers. They were one of the first of two companies that I started working with in the Web tools arena almost five, six years ago now. Um, and they're going to, you will learn more information about actionable items as a sales maker um, than you can ever imagine all from one screen. It's a really powerful tool. They've been uh, one of the stalwarts of this whole web tools movement um, going back, you know, six, seven, maybe years ago.
2: No, that's fantastic. Good stuff, Miles. Stick around, everybody. Uh, bottom of the hour, about uh, 40 minutes after the hour, we'll have the X's and O's segment. Miles Austin will come back and join us. We'll talk much more about Inside View and get more insight into that tool. Miles, I appreciate it. Talk to you in a few. Very good. Great to have him on board as well. Again, Mike, Mark Roberts will join us in just a couple of moments after we come out of our first break, but I've been looking over uh, many of the blogs that are happening over uh, HubSpot And one of the blog pieces that came out just in the past week on the inbound sales side was How to Make Quotas Less Intimidating for New Sales Reps, uh, published by Ratika Puri, September 3rd, 2014. I hope I'm saying her name correctly. The uh, interesting blog because so many sales managers, business owners who manage sales people, and it's interesting because oftentimes sales people do not have effective sales management. And it's even more difficult for owners who are trying to play that role and understand the need for things like quotas and yet don't quite understand the whole idea of how to roll those out and make those work. This was a really good article coming out of the HubSpot blog system about how you work with reps, how you use quotas For them and those kinds of things and some really good and very interesting insight here one of the things that she says be extremely transparent about how quotas are calculated I do not know what her history and background is but I can tell you that that is one of the real critical keys in terms of setting up quotas for salespeople it's not that uh, we don't need a finish line to run to because clearly we do salespeople need need to know what they're working towards And they clearly need to be rewarded and and celebrated when they hit those. That's just how we salespeople are built, uh, regardless of personality, style. We're we're really interested in winning. We're interested in reaching objectives. We're interested in running to a finish line. But there's nothing worse than uh, having a lack of transparency in how quotas are calculated for individual salespeople. She goes on to say, you should assign mentors to new reps. And I tell you, in my work as, as someone who trains salespeople all across the country, all variety of industry, industries, I can tell you that uh, salespeople oftentimes are brought on board with very little onboarding expertise whatsoever. And the ability to assign a mentor to a new rep, uh, assuming that that mentor is qualified, has been successful, and has... The objective to actually train and distribute knowledge to a new rep, all mentors not being created equal, by the way. It's not enough just to have a mentoring program. You actually have to have people who understand what that role is and what they're trying to accomplish. But it is so, so critical. She says this, quote, experienced sales leaders know that quotas are just a part of doing business. The more time you spend on the job, the more comfortable you become with the risk, these perspectives will be invaluable to new reps who haven't spent years on the job. The more guidance new sales reps have, the more empowered they will feel to stand on their own two feet. Mentorship programs can be formal or informal. Meetings can happen regularly or sporadically. What's most important is that new team members have a form to speak openly and honestly about their concerns and fears. So there's so much more into it than just those two paragraphs, but that's a fantastic introduction. And they absolutely right. You, you know, new salespeople often come in without any sense of what those expectations are. You, you know, they get a job description, they understand that they're gonna have to learn how to use uh, the tools of the trade, whatever they may be, whether they're an inbound or outbound salesperson. And they, they, they get training on those things, but there's a real lack of clarity oftentimes in the expectations, because while we may talk about the results that we expect them to create, we oftentimes don't talk well enough about the activities that lead to those results. There's just a huge difference. you want to stick around. Much more of the Business Locker Room to come. I'm Kelly Riggs. We'll be right back.
1: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
0: Kelly Riggs is an author, a highly acclaimed speaker, and a business performance coach for companies and executives across the country. Now in his eighth year as founder and president of VMAX Performance Group, Kelly has written two books, One-on-One Management, What Every Great Manager Knows That You Don't, and Quit Whining and Start Selling, A Step-by-Step Guide to a Hall of Fame Career in Sales. Both are available on Amazon.com. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit vmaxpg.com. That's vmaxpg.com. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sun Joke All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk.
2: Hi, I'm John Spence, one of the top 100 business thought leaders in the world, and you're listening to The Business Locker Room with Kelly Riggs. Hey, welcome
4: back to the Business Locker Room as we fight through some technical challenges. Hopefully we've got all that worked out, and many thanks to Michael Sergit, our engineer on the other side of the glass, trying to piece things back together technically as um, you can always rely on the technical side to create the problems when you least expect them. But uh, we're excited to move forward. Mark Roberge joins us in the locker room. He is the CRO, the Chief Revenue Officer of HubSpot, and uh, quite a... Uh, background that Mark has is you look at the various things that he's done. He's been with HubSpot since the very beginning, 2006, and started with them at Ground Zero and was responsible for growing revenue to over $90 million, now over 450 employees there as well. Mark, it's uh, great to have you on board. Thanks for joining us in the locker room.
5: Thanks, Kelly. Great to be here.
4: Hey, you've got uh, you've got quite the background, and you and I have had the opportunity to talk a couple of different times. But mm-hmm. uh, tell us a little bit. You you were actually in the Boston area. You were uh, going to school out there and got familiar or, or created a relationship with the people that ultimately formed Upspot. Give us a little bit of that backside history.
5: Sure, I'm. I'm you know, I'm, I'm more of an entrepreneur. I'm more of a technologist by background, which kind of leads you to today's topic of uh, science and selling. Um, you know, I, I started my career as a mechanical engineer. I wrote Java for a couple of years. I um, uh, ended up at MIT for business school and did a bunch of startups and came across the co-founders of HubSpot, which is sort of an MIT project at the time. Uh, so I, I was—I kind of needed a job after school, and they were two or three guys in a garage and had the opportunity to try to build out the sales team here, and that was a fun journey. Um, so did that for the first six years, six, seven years of the business from oh seven to two thousand thirteen. About halfway through that journey, um, was also given the services and account management and support teams and scaled both those uh all those divisions to about four hundred and fifty people and got the uh company north of a ninety million dollar run rate. Uh so you know the there were kind of two unique ways we really focused uh, here on. I mean, given my background, I kind of looked through everything from a sort of scientific data technology lens and used that to kind of build out the sales team here. And also being HubSpot, I mean, we're a company that's always put the buyer first in both the way we market and sell. Um, and that's kind of what we mean by social selling in terms of putting the buyer in the center of the process as opposed to ourselves, the salespeople. Well, you know, Mark, it's a little bit
4: unusual to, to talk about someone with your kind of background, engineering and so forth, uh, to be involved in, in the development on the sales side. She clearly, uh, you know, whether you're in Silicon Valley or MIT, it's not unusual to have the dot com start up and to build up through that route, but to have someone who is an engineer actually head up the sales force, that's a little bit unusual. Would you agree?
5: Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to mislead you to say that I went from Java programming right into selling. <laughs> you know, yeah, I right. definitely was, uh, you know, more on the consulting side eventually and got very close to a lot of the sales side of the business over my career. You know, my dad's a sales coach and he kind of helped me along the way. I was CEO of a startup before MIT and, and raised a bunch of money uh, doing that. So I've kind of ex- been exposed to sales tactics in the past, but, Never formally carried a quota before this, uh, this run, so I guess it was unusual. And that's what people get a kick out of uh, this story when they hear about the way I thought about it. You know, really, I, I set a mission from day when, one around predictable, scalable revenue growth. That's really what I wanted to do. And there were four tactics I went after, which was, how can I hire the same person every time? How can I train them in the most predictable way? How can I provide them with the same quality and quantity of leads every month? And how can I hold them accountable to the same sales process and that was sort of the formula, the engineering formula in my head that I wanted to you know build this team around to to accomplish that mission of scalable predictable results so it is unusual, but I think this day and age, and you know to miles 's point earlier on, data and science is becoming a bigger uh, you know con- contributor to to the success of sales today
4: well there's no question you, the entire idea of the sales profession has migrated in the last several decades away from the born salesman you know the slick uh, back-slapping donut delivering kind of sales guy to a data-driven professional salesperson yet in that transition a lot of people have not have not made that transition they're still back in that old era and and i'm really interested first off in in the first of your four ideas and that is how do you predictably hire a qualified uh, individual to fulfill the, the fourth point, which was the sales process side. How were you able, How did you go about that? Because that clearly is one of the most significant challenges in any industry in terms of salespeople. How do you hire the right person?
5: I think it is the number one. You know, and I go back to sort of day one on the job and looking at everything that I needed to do in terms of finding people and training them and managing them. And to be honest, when you're, you know, four guys in a garage – I had a vision on what I thought an A plus job would be across all three of those disciplines, but it was going to be like 150 hours a week to do it. <laughs> it just, you know, I was willing to give it 80, but you know, it just wasn't possible to do an A plus job across all three. And I, I kind of thought about it and said, you know, if I can do only an A plus job on one of them, which should I do? And, and I, I thought it should be hiring because I figured if I get the right guys in here, the right people in here, uh, you know, if I just, if I do a half-assed job on, on training and managing them, they're rock stars, they'll figure it out. Versus if you start with the wrong people, no matter how good you do at training and managing them, you're really fighting an uphill battle. Um, so that was a really important one to me. And basically what I did was I, I wrote down sort of the 10 criteria that I thought would correlate most with success here in the HubSpot sales model. And I clearly defined what each of them was, what a score of a 1, a 5, a 10 would be on each criteria. And I went through hundreds and hundreds of interviews in that first year and, and was very disciplined around scoring everybody I talked to along that uh, sort of algorithm and, you know, hired a bunch of people, hired about one or two reps uh, a month. And it wasn't long before some of them tried to start to mature in our In our funnel, and I started to see who the rock stars were and who was mediocre. And it was very, uh, a lot of learnings for me to go back to those sort of interview observations and kind of see what was starting to correlate. And it was probably about 12, 14 months in where I actually had accumulated enough data that I could start running regression analyses (laughs) of of those scores that I uh, brought together uh, to see what actually was predicting success. And we continued that over the six years until the algorithm was fine-tuned. So, you know, I I think for me, the takeaway was um, I don't think there's a right answer to who you should be looking for, the type of criteria you should be looking for in a salesperson for every single company. I think it actually dramatically differs from company to company depending on who you're selling to, how complicated your product is, how competitive the market is, how mature the market is. But this process of being really disciplined around what you should be looking for and set yourself up to go back, whether it's a qualitative reflection or something as sophisticated as we did on a regression analysis, uh, to kind of reverse engineer what the right answer was. I will tell you, Kelly, that there there were five criteria over the years that highly, highly correlated with success for us. And I do find in the technology companies that I advise that that it's uh, it's probably pretty common across a lot of the folks in the early stage tech space, and those five were number one for for me was coachability, how coachable that rep was. Number two was curiosity. Number three was intelligence. Number four was work ethic, and number five was prior success. Those were the five that we really looked for that correlated strongly.
4: Wow, I I just listened to sales managers all across the country who may be listening to this show grab their head in disbelief when you said regression (laughs) analysis. I didn't know that was part part of the job description.
5: (laughs) Well, Listen, I outsource that to an MIT PhD and I hope to not overwhelm anyone with that, but my point here is everybody can sit down and write down the the five or ten things they want to look for and just score people against it. And you know, it sounds really generic and vanilla and easy and uh, but it's re- really meaningful if you're going to really invest in scaling a sales team to go through that kind of discipline. Well,
4: I, I, we're, we're talking with Mark Robert. He's the chief revenue officer of HubSpot. And we're talking about the idea of using both science and social selling to build a scalable business model. I, I am always intrigued by the idea of hiring because, like you, I, I do think it is absolutely the most important thing. You can't, you can't make something with something you don't have. And yet what I've found is that across industries, even across different sizes of companies, Mark, uh, people are very haphazard oftentimes about the way they hired. And I think you put your finger on it it's because it's a lot of work to do it the right way.
5: Yeah, and I actually don't think people know how to do it the right way. You know, they kind of like, oh, I've got to hire a position. Let me look for people who have experience in my industry. That's, that might be a good place to start. Yeah. And when they come in, let me go through their resume with them. How would you do here? What would you sell here? And uh, that's the easy way out. But I don't, think, I don't think domain experience and sort of a resume run through really gets at how strong a candidate is. I mean, I'll tell you the most meaningful thing I do in an interview is I, I put them in a role play. And I say, hey, Kelly, this, you know, let's do a role play. Um, you're going to be selling for HubSpot. I'm a prospect. I'm a VP of marketing from a security software company here in Boston, and I requested a demo on the HubSpot website last night. Go. Let's do the role play. And, and and just how you navigate the role play is very telling to me. That's exciting. But even more importantly is when the role play ends, I'm like, all right, Kelly, how do you think you did? You know, and if you're like, I did awesome, that's a red flag to me. <laughs> but if you're very analytical about, you know, how you did – and then I coach you for a few minutes and you take notes and you ask questions and then you do it again and you improve, that's, that's the most telling thing to me on how successful you're going to be with our company. Because if I'm able to move the needle with you in five or ten minutes, I can't wait to spend a day, a week, a month with you and make you yeah, a rock star yeah. in this funnel.
4: Well, I, I tell you, I think that's some of the very best advice we've ever had in the locker room. I can tell you, uh, it, it, having begun my career in sales, the first significant sales job that I applied for, my manager put me through a role play. It stuck with me. And unfortunately, when I first became a manager, I started off, I didn't use that technique. I have, have ever since. But you're, you're right. It, there has to be a way to put people in the moment to see if they can think on their feet, how they respond to stress and pressure and those kinds of things. Because I look at these five criteria you have, Mark, I think they're phenomenal, But someone who doesn't know how to hire, it could be as silly as something like this. Well, do you think you're coachable? Well, I mean, what is (laughs) is anybody going to say? (laughs) Of course I'm coachable. I want this job. But role play really doesn't leave anybody any place to hide, does it?
5: It doesn't. And it's really, it's the role play, very, very important to me. I can see curiosity. I can see how they naturally sell. I can see how they think on their feet. But then after the role play, when we're coaching – that, and, then, and then having them redo the role play, you can't fake that. You know, so that, that's really, really important to me.
4: Yeah, that is fantastic uh, insight into hiring. Well, of course, getting the right person. Now, you, you have the five criteria that you came up with. But let me ask you, is there a, anything in, in your experience, Experience in hiring salespeople—that is, that one or two, what I would call absolutely non-negotiable, must-have characteristics of someone—that we know that if you don't have this in large amounts, you simply will not make it with us.
5: Yeah, I mean, those five for me are—you know—the the, coachability and the curiosity are 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 big, and and that. <laughs> that that really drives sort of uh, how I'm going to d- determine the rest of their characteristics and whether I can move them. I mean, I guess I'd lean into prior success a little bit there. You know, I mean, if you're, if you're, uh, if I, if I talk to Kelly, and say, okay, Kelly, you know, you were at Oracle, you were an AE there. How many AEs were in your division? Well, there are 82. Where were you, where were you ranked? You know, I was kind of middle of the pack. That's a hard one for me to get over. Right. You know what I mean? It's like you, I'm not saying no, but you got to wow me across the board in the rest of the, the interview process for you to earn the spot here right. uh, versus, you know, if you're like, yeah, I was five, you know, top, top 10%, top 7%. I'm really liking this conversation because right. people who have succeeded before, they're highly likely to succeed again. Again, it's not the only characteristic, but I look for that. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to, you know, be specific to sales either. Right. I've, I've, got folk, I've had folks on the team, they were Olympic gold medalists. They're, they're in Comedy Central as a professional comic. Uh, they play uh, in, the, in the Portland Symphony. You know, I mean, these are people who, no matter what they had tr- uh, tried in life, they got to the top of their game, and they're likely to do that in sales as well.
4: Yeah, that's good stuff. Mark Roberts is our guest. He's the Chief Revenue Officer of HubSpot. We're going to take a timeout, and uh, we seem to have conquered all of our technical difficulties. When we come back on the other side of the break, we'll uh, continue our conversation with Mark. Much more questions about using science and social selling uh, to build the, the very successful company of HubSpot. Stay with us. I'm Kelly Riggs. You're listening to the Business Locker Room.
1: The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network.
0: Both are available on Amazon.com. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune into The Career Confidant with Marie Ziminoff.
5: Dan Walshman, and you're listening to the Business Locker Room Show with Kelly Riggs. Hey, welcome back
2: to the Business Locker Room. We're joined by Mark Roberts, the Chief Revenue Officer of HubSpot. By the way, you can find him online and uh, make sure that you're uh, following him on Twitter and and reading the blogs at HubSpot. His Twitter handle, at Mark Roberts, that's R-O-B-E-R-G-E. HubSpot.com, a number of different blogs that they have there. And uh, before we went into the break, we were talking about the things that you look for in the people that you hire as the foundation, Mark. And that's that's a great start. But to review again, you had four significant uh, pieces of the puzzle for yourself in terms of building a sustainable sales team. You started with hire the the, the right person. What were the other three?
5: Train them in a predictable way, provided that's number two. Or training. Yes. Number three is the demand gen. So provide them with the same quality and quantity of leads each month. And number four is management. Hold them accountable to the same process. And you think about it, if you do all four of those well, you bring in the same successful person, you train in the same way, you provide them the same quality leads, and you hold them the same process, that's just a predictable machine right there. Yeah, I, t- I
2: tell you, you make it sound easy, and, and yet as you deal with organizations across the country, uh, they, they really do struggle to do that predictably in, in in a sustainable fashion. But I think, Mark, it's because they actually don't have a, a process that they've developed and they're not following. I mean, accountability sounds like a great thing, uh, but the number of uh, sales managers that I deal with, that actually have some sort of methodology towards creating accountability is uh, very few and far between. What what process do you guys use in order to create that accountability within the organization?
5: So the fourth one, the management, hold them accountable. You know, I call this process metrics-driven sales coaching. You know, very, very sales coaching oriented in the way we think about management here. Mm -hmm. It's almost like I wish it was more kosher with the... The the personnel, I wish they could call them sales coaches instead of managers, but I'd, I'd probably have a problem kind of promoting leadership if I did that. So he, here's how that worked. I mean, you know, when I look at managers and I look at coaches, I first off I like to think about a, a little bit of a golf analogy here. And I've I've tried to learn golf for like 15 years somewhat unsuccessfully. I've had a lot of different golf pros give me lessons, and I had one guy, he's like, all right, Mark, here, take, take this ball, take a swing here, and, he, and I took a swing. And he's like, all right, well, here, try this. Turn your grip over a little bit with your right hand. Put more weight in your back foot. Lean back a little bit. Think 1 o'clock, not 2 o'clock in your back foot. And give me more rest in the follow-through. And I was like, you, Cal, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> right? and the next golf pro, he said, okay, Mark, take a swing. And he said, here, try this grip. Now take 100 swings. 20 minutes later, he's like, "How's that feel? He's like, you know, it feels better. So he, Now try to lean a little bit more back in your right foot. Now take 100 swings again. How's that feel? 20 minutes later, feels pretty good, right? And and it sounds kind of like trivial, but that's what I see most commonly with these with with newer sales managers. Is they often succeeded in the funnel themselves, and they 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 hopefully are good coaches and and they have good empathy with the team and they're good leaders, but they get a new guy a new person. And there's a huge gap between where that person is on day one and where they want them to be. And they throw up on them with feedback for like 90 minutes and you can just see the sales rep's head spinning.
3: Mm-hmm. And
5: the better managers that I have can actually see that gap, but appreciate what that one next step is in, in success that will kind of make that person the most successful. And they, they diagnose that issue using the metrics Right, So every single month, on the second day of the month, I would come in and meet with all my directors who had 40 reps under them, and we'd go through them one by one and say, okay, what's the skill you're working on with this person, how did you choose it, and how are you going to coach them through that skill? And because I had that discussion, all the directors would meet with each of their managers and have those same questions, and because that meeting occurred, each of my managers would meet with each of their reps on the first day of every month and go through all their metrics and kind of walk through where are they weak, where are they strong, and can they take a step back and say, okay, if we're going to pick one area, where should we work based on these metrics? And that was really, really helpful to kind of establish that blueprint, hold the team accountable using the metrics to the same sort of process, and then help those managers kind of decipher where they were off and and create a coaching plan accordingly.
2: That's, that's outstanding advice. And I'm just curious to know, which of those metrics did you find, uh, for you personally at HubSpot, which of those metrics did you find to be the most critical in, in their correlation to creating the results that you want? I mean, clearly, there, there's a number of metrics for a very specific reason. <laughs> uh, but, but are any of those more critical than the other?
5: Well, I mean, where I try to start is just something really high level, like three or four metrics to show me the whole funnel shape. So I might start with, okay, how many leads a month are these? is this person working? How many are, do they turn into opportunities? How many do they get to the presentation stage or the forecast stage? And how many do they close? I want to just start with something real high level with that. And, and I, and I kind of, as I start practicing this month after month, salesperson after salesperson, I start to get a sense of what kind of activity and conversion rates yield success. And sure, I got my folks who are like super heavy activity folks. They're big activity players and they are always going to have 30, 40% more activity up the top. And maybe they're not the best presenters, and, and their conversion rates a little lower. But good numbers come out the bottom. And sure, I'm going to have my folks who are a little bit more the relationship builders. They're they're never going to have the highest activity in the company, but they close 50% of the people they move to the presentation stage. And because of that, they're always going to have great numbers down the uh, you know out of the company, out of, the, mm-hmm. out, of out of their activity. So they, you start to get a sense for those high level metrics. And then once you once you start seeing deficiencies. The next question I'll ask is how can I peel back the onion with more metrics? Right? So if someone's doing a lot of uh, calls, but not getting a lot of people to the opportunity stage, can I peel that back a little bit? Right? Like, you know, is it, is it that they're doing a lot of calls, but they're not getting anyone on the phone, so they've got a connect issue, in yes. which case I want to look at their voicemails, I want to look at their emails, I, look, I want to look at how much time they're spending between them, et cetera, or do they get all the people on the phone, but no one wants to talk to them anymore because they're terrible at breaking ice, right? The metrics can talk to me there and tell me where the issue is. And then I can – my coaching, obviously, is going to be way different depending on which is, which is the issue, right? So, so I wish there was one metric, Kelly, but for me, I like to keep it super simple up front, just have like a three or four metrics that tell me the whole funnel. And then when I start seeing issues – If possible, I'd like to peel that back and look deeper in the metrics to truly diagnose the problem.
2: Well, I mean, that is the real beauty of a metric-driven process because when you do find deficiencies in performance, you can backtrack into first identifying where the critical aspect of the performance is breaking down. Then you can look, as you mentioned, deeper into that, that aspect of the process to see where they're failing. That's a whole lot different, Mark, than the old style of, well, I need to hire a born salesperson and pray that they do well. You know, that's that's the typical
5: approach. Yeah, this gives you a lot more visibility. And not only is it a good process for you to be continually developing your people and getting them better in a very predictable way, but you, you'd be surprised just by the fact that they know that this monthly meeting and these monthly reports are going to be produced. In fact, these reports go out every day to the whole team. The fact that they know that's happening, that drives activity. You know, mm-hmm. I think uh, when I talk to people and they're like, you know, Mark, we really need to... Uh, you know, improve our connect rate and get our co- guys doing a lot more activity up at the top of the funnel. What do you recommend? Should we do some sales training? Should we put some sort of spiff in place? What should we do? Here's what you do. Create a daily report, send it to the whole team and stack rank the salespeople. Yep. Overnight you'll see yep. results. You know, the, the metrics right. drive the, the, the motivation. Yeah. And, there, and there's two reasons for that. First
2: off, the really great people want to be at the top of the list. And yep. the other thing is, is nobody wants to be at the bottom of the list. So
5: yeah, exactly.
2: You, you've kind of got to work in both ways. Well, we've got just a few minutes before we wrap up, but let me go to the demand gen side. You, you're, you're trying to produce the same amounts of leads for each and every person as you go throughout there. My friend is um, to many people, the secret sauce. Tell us about how you do that.
5: Yeah, so there's two big pieces to that. One, I, we, I can't take credit for, but i got to give credit to my counterpart, Mike Volpe, our CMO here who's been here just as long as I have. has been a great uh, friend, a great professional counterpart here, and really just revolutionized this whole inbound marketing uh, you know, industry. And the whole cornerstone here is inbound marketing is less about interrupting people with your elevator pitch and more about educating people with good content so that they find you. Right, you know, I think everybody out there would could could come up with a hundred phrases that, if they rank number one in Google when someone searched for that, it would change their business. It would ch- ch- send t- tons of quality people to their website, tons of quality leads to their their website. And the key to that is to produce good educational content on a consistent basis. So my words of wisdom out there to sort of executives and sales executives, etc., is believe it or not go hire a journalist. You know, people don't think about this. Go hire a journalist. They're not expensive. The magazine and newspaper industry is falling apart. There's extremely gifted people out there that can write in a very interesting way. Go hire them full-time. Go hire a freelancer to come by every Friday and have them interview your salespeople. Have them write an ebook based on those interviews on certain trends in the market. Have them write blog articles. Go look at our website and the blogs that are out there. They're not about your product. They're all about the questions that your prospects have way at the top of the funnel. And all those blog articles and all those eBooks and all those tweets represent many virtual salespeople pulling people to your business, right? So just think about that for a second and consider bringing sort of a, a, a full-time or part-time journalist on to help you with the demand gen. Now, on the other side, you know, the, the outbound stuff, I just think, that we don't use technology well enough without with Outbound. You know, I watch our some of our Outbound guys back in the day, and their process would be to go to Google, find a company that they think is a good fit, go into the CRM to check if it's available, if that lead's available. If it, if it is, go find the executive team online, research what their email formula is, figure out what geography they're in, figure out their revenue, type all that in the CRM. It was like, they're sourcing a new lead in 20 minutes. And we built all this funky technology internally that makes that one click in 30 seconds. Literally go to the website, click on a little tool, and it tells you all that. Is it in the CRM? Who's the executive team? What's their email? What's their revenue? What's their location? Has anyone at our company emailed anyone at their company? Click here to add it to your CRM. Boom. And by the way, here's five other companies just like this lead. That took 20 minutes to find one lead into 20 minutes to find 20 leads. So there's so much opportunity to leverage technology. And um, that's, that's been my, my job in the last year and, and a big push for us at HubSpot is really commercializing all these cool tools on how to prospect and find leads faster, how to know when people are opening up our emails, uh, our sales emails, how to know when people are visiting our website and give that information right to the salesperson. And, uh, and that's our Signals product. There, there may have been some people out there that use it. It's a free product, getsignals.com. And that's our journey now is to commercialize all that stuff and make salespeople really productive.
2: Yeah, that's man, that's fantastic. Good place for us to stop, Mark, because, A, I want to know a whole lot more. That means I get to bring you back in another episode in the future. We can talk about all of those uh, announcements that uh, are, are fairly imminent, I think, with, with HubSpot on the outbound side, and uh, we can get that sense of how you connect those two pieces of parts together. He's Mark Robert. He is the Chief Revenue Officer Uh, at HubSpot, and just a a phenomenal conversation. Mark, I can't thank you enough. So many actionable ideas that you've given us today. Uh, It'll be a great episode. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Kelly. Great to have you on board. And that's going to do it uh, for our interview with Mark. And we're going to come back on the other side of our final break, and we're going to welcome back in Miles Austin. And I suspect uh, Miles will have a thing or two to contribute based on the conversation with Mark as well as he is actively involved in the web tool side uh, so much of the social media tools that are available and that can be leveraged you're listening to the Business Locker Room on Voice America I'm Kelly Riggs stay with us we're going to come right back with the X's and O's segment
1: when it comes to business you'll find the experts here Voice America Business Network
0: Kelly Riggs is an author, a highly acclaimed speaker, and a business performance coach for companies and executives across the country. Now in his eighth year as founder and president of VMAX Performance Group, Kelly has written two books, One-on-One Management, What Every Great Manager Knows That You Don't, and Quit Whining and Start Selling, A Step-by-Step Guide to a Hall of Fame Career in Sales. Both are available on Amazon.com. Is it time to put Kelly to work for you? For more information on training or consulting in sales, leadership development, or strategic planning, visit VMAXPG.com. That's VMAXPG.com. Big Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
1: The business community's first choice in internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network.
2: This is Jeff Shore author of Be Bold and Win the Sale, more great business ideas straight ahead in the business locker room. And thanks for the intro Jeff Shore, a recent guest, uh, great having him on board as well and he is absolutely right, more great information straight ahead with Miles Austin. We start our X's and O's segment and as always it is brought to you by 4D Sales. We really, really love those guys at 4D Sales. A great tool that they have given us to use, a tablet-based sales tool that salespeople can use to improve their, uh, the ability to make presentations, to have everything that they need at their fingertips, and I, I mean everything, price lists, brochures, PDFs, yes, that's normal. But how about live web pages and videos and slide decks and so many more tools all together on your iPad, easily shown to a potential prospect, the ability to email those pieces and parts to them. It really is the next level in presentation technology. I've been doing this for a very, very long time and this is a tool that I wish I'd have had many, many years ago, so easy to use, amplifies the sales team's ability to sell more business and to consistently across all your salespeople represent your company, brand, and solution much more effectively. Many thanks to Brian Carpenter and the crew over at 4D Sales. You can find them at 4dsales.com. We welcome in Miles Austin, my good friend, and a guy who has more things going to me. That is hard to believe. But we're going to talk about Inside View today. You gave us a, a little bit of a preview at the top of the hour. Uh, tell us a little bit more about Inside View, Miles.
3: Absolutely, Kelly. Um, I'll tell you, Mark set it up really well with the with yeah, the wrap-up on his side. Um, he was talking about um, a very, very powerful tool called GetSignals.com. And Signal is does a similar kind of thing. And what I liked was his story that not too many years ago, it would take you 20 minutes or longer. I actually found a lot longer to gather up enough of the useful information on a potential customer, a prospect, or even an existing customer we wanted to dig in deeper with. What InsideView does is take all of these multiple sources of information from financial reporting to social media to um, company websites to all of this and puts it again, all of it gathered together based on your interest. You create a list or you name the companies or even the individuals you want to track, and it brings it all, it scours the web, and it gives it all to you through this thing they call an agent. And agents are simply really kind of working for you in the background, searching and scrubbing the web 24 hours a day, and you'll have so much information at your fingertips by simply logging into your InsideView.com account.
2: Well, and uh, as I understand, there is a free side of this as well. But even the Enterprise Edition is, is only about $100 a month. So there's a lot of power built into these tools. And more and more, it's going that direction. Miles, and let me ask you your, your expert opinion.
3: For those who are not moving in this direction, what sort of disadvantage is it going to create for them? Um, they're going to be late. They're going to not even be aware of an opportunity. They're always going to be struggling with why were we as a company and why was I as a rep behind the eight ball every time I turned around in every single prospect or customer opportunity that I'm pursuing.
2: So is InsideView a a CRM
3: type of package or is it something that integrates with a CRM package or how would you characterize it? definitely not CRM, it integrates with Salesforce and all the major, you know, the CRM tools out there. But no, I look at it as a secret agent working on your behalf, gathering everything that's possibly available to you on the web about that customer or that company that you want to learn about.
2: Now, we've looked at some similar tools. So let's, or at least it have some commonality. Uh, I recall that we looked at who works at and that was a tool that is available free, I believe, uh, it, that, that you can have on uh, right, right as a part of your uh, web browser and so forth. How do, the, how do those things vary? What, what, are, what are the commonalities and the differences?
3: Um, the commonality is it uses one portion uh, who works at is really looking at a social connection only. Let me use an example of a specific company. When I was selling technology here in the Seattle area, Seattle Children's Hospital was one of my customers, right? So mm-hmm. as I open up my inside view today to give you some real live examples, I have a series of tabs. I've already set up the fact and, and indicated that Seattle Children's Hospital is a company I want to know everything I can know about. So as I look across my tabs, I have an overview tab. I click on that tab. It tells me what their revenues are. It tells me how many employees they have. gives me a brief description, um, how many beds and all that kind of thing. Off to the right-hand side, it gives me what they call buzz. And as an example, I'm looking at a bunch of Twitter posts from people at or connected to the hospital. Number three on the list this is as of September 5th, so this is current. The Seattle Children's Hospital CIO Wes Wright tells Information Week that IT needs more Clark Kent and fewer Superman, and then there's a link. Well, if I'm selling technology and I first of all now know Wes. Wright is their CIO, and he's putting information out there, his philosophy about we need more Clark Kent and fewer Superman. If I want to sell to that company, I better know what he's saying, I better know what he's thinking, and it's all on one screen yet. I haven't even changed screens. Um, but as an example, we talked about sourcing. Um, there's a whole lot of other sources out there besides social media um, included, and no one, I would say, in my experience anyway. Um, has more sources of data that they're pulling from than the team at InsideView. I'm looking at literally a tab that talks about S&P information for capital. Um, I'm looking at uh, Cortera, which is more of that general information. Um, I'm looking at, um, obviously, all of the social activity. Net Prospects is a company we'll talk about at some point down the road, which is kind of more of a list and who works there and who, how to go, get a hold of them. Um, Equifax. I mean, none of these other companies are providing this kind of information in, and based on what my purpose is, um, if I want to, as an example, I want to, I click on the people tab, and I can say, just show me the C-level executives, or show me the VPs, or whatever it might be, what job functions, what people in what areas, and uh, I show right now, and I haven't been selling to this company for over three years 68 people that I'm connected with one way or the other. And I can look at Sean and Tom, who's an MD and the CEO there. I can look at all these people, and I now know again how to get a hold of them. I can look at the buzz and understand what people are saying about the company and what the company is saying about what they do. A really key piece, there's really three pieces I want to jump into really fast. One of them is what they call the family tree. If you're selling to a bigger organization like a lot of us have, Um, They have multiple divisions, different company names, different locations. The Family Tree function alone will save you a lot of time and potentially uncover new opportunities. So when I click on Family Tree, it shows me the headline, but it then also shows me um, a lot of other information.
2: Well, I tell you, that that encapsulates a whole lot that, that I suspect any salesperson, any small business can certainly put to good use just knowing that you can go out and gather all of the information in the in the initial parts of the sales process gives you a tremendous leg up on the people that you are competing against miles that that is a fantastic tool and again uh, at a certain level it is is free we have just a few seconds left in the segment but it it, you can get this for free
3: I mean looking at it on a free version myself and I have for almost six years (laughs) almost six years Good stuff, once again, from Miles Austin. He is the web tools guy, and if
2: there's anything you want to know about productivity tools or or these kinds of tools that tell you more about what's going on in the business world, he is the guy to see. You can find him on Twitter, at Miles Austin. And you can also find all of his work at fillthefunnel.com. Much more to come from Miles Austin. In fact, uh, he's going to be in uh, New York uh, for the next couple of weeks, uh, and I'm afraid we're going to miss him on the show, but we'll pick back up, and by then he'll have lots of things going on. Hey, great to have you on board, Miles. Thanks so much. Thank you, man. Hey, that's going to do it for today's show. Special thanks to Mark Roberts from HubSpot. Fantastic interview from him. And a special thanks to 40 Sales for sponsoring and partnering with us to make the X's and O's segment available again. Always the best resource we have. Miles Austin at fillthefunnel.com. We hey, we struggled a little bit early on. Thank you, Michael Sergeant. He's my engineer. He made it uh, made us turn around and got back on the, the track. Brandy Jackson is our executive producer. Appreciate all her help in helping us make the show sound good. Make sure you visit us at bizlockerroom.com. I'm Kelly Riggs. I will see you next week for another exciting edition of The Business Locker Room.